So hello, it's Clive DeCarl here, and I'm very, very pleased to bring forward today somebody who really has been very instrumental in the whole course of what's been going on in the last two years. And if only people had listened to him, things would have been very, very, very different. So Dr. Zelenko, thank you so much for joining me. And this is clearly a pretty important time in the world for you. Not only were you instrumental at almost eradicating COVID from the world, but you're also from Ukraine and must have a very interesting view about what's going on globally right now. But let's start, if we may, with health. Um, perhaps you could uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and how your relationship with hydrochloroquine and Trump and so on, how, how that unfolded, if, if that's all right. Sure. Thanks for having me, by the way. Um, so I'm a, a family physician for the last 20 years, um, upstate New York. And um, it's a community of 35,000 people, but they live within a square mile. So a very high population density. And when COVID arrived in the first week of March of 2020, it spread to everyone. And I found myself in the epicenter of the largest outbreak in America, in the outpatient setting. And at that time, there was no, no treatment. All we were telling patients was go home on, on Tylenol. When your breathing gets worse, go to the hospital and a fraction of those patients would end up on a respirator. And those that ended up on the respirator, respirator then 85% were dying. So that didn't seem like a very good uh, treatment approach. And these are people that I've taken care of for two decades. I'm a family doctor. So I was, someone once told me a nice compliment that I'm a family member to 4,000 families. So it was personal to me. And, um, and I, I just didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do, actually. And so um, I was praying to God. I remember it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was overwhelmed. My practice usually saw 50 patients a day. Now we were seeing 250. Half of my staff was sick. All the services I got used to, like blood testing and radiology services were shut down. The hospitals were near capacity. I just didn't have the resources to, to, to get to everyone. And even if I did, I had nothing to offer them. So it was a, it was a traumatic mass casualty like event, like in wartime. So I needed something, some rational approach. And so, I was praying to God and next thing I know in my email inbox, there was a video that was sent to me, a link. It was a YouTube video called MedCram, MedCram, episode 34, Dr. Schultz. And I look at this video and it was a very high level video on cell biology, biochemistry, virology. And there was a concept introduced of how to stop viruses from replicating their own genetic material through the use of zinc. However, zinc for biochemical reasons could not get into the cell 
with the virus was, and the enzyme that needed to be inhibited was, so there was a substance, a class of substances that would allow for zinc to go from outside of the cell to inside the cell. That, those were called zinc ionophores. And one of them was hydroxychloroquine. So that's how um, that came to my consciousness. Um, now I had used hydroxychloroquine throughout my career for, for different reasons, uh, for the, mostly for the use of rheumatological diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. We used to give it to pregnant women, to children, nursing mothers. And some of my patients were living on it for decades at 400 milligrams a day. It was also used for malaria and malaria prophylaxis. So it was a drug I knew very well. I knew its safety profile. I'd never had a problem with it. A zinc is just a mineral. Um, also, there was a doctor from France, Dr. Didier Raoult, and he was using hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin, antibiotic. So I decided, listen, I'm going to put together these three different substances, all of which I knew very well, their safety profiles. I'm going to modify the dosing to reflect less acutely ill patients. And I'm going to treat my patients with it. But there were two other things that I did. I needed to know who to treat. So I, I came up with a clever um, idea. I called several hospitals and spoke to their intensive care unit doctors. And I asked them, which patients are you seeing that are dying? So they said, well, the el elderly patients and people with chronic illnesses. I said, what about younger people or healthy people? They said, no, we're not seeing them. So right away, I knew that this virus doesn't kill equally. So I came back to my office and I sent two thirds of the patients home based on criteria like low risk or high risk. And they all did well, actually. Now the high risk patients had a 7.5% death rate, which is not unacceptable. And the other thing that I did, which was against what was being recommended was I would treat people immediately upon presentation. In other words, if I thought they had COVID I would do the testing, but it took a week to get the results. I would not wait. I would treat right away. Just made sense to me. I do that all the time in every other illness. The sooner you treat someone, the better the results. I mean, just common sense. So if I waited a week to get the results of something I knew anyway, the patient was half dead. It didn't make sense. And it's very easy to diagnose. If you have flu-like symptoms and you don't have a smell or a taste and your actual flu test is negative and there's a massive outbreak of COVID in your community, you don't have to be a genius to figure it out. And so what I did was what became known as the Zelenko protocol is really just common sense. Risk stratification, identify the high-risk patients, treat them right away and treat them with the anti-inflammatory antiviral combination. The data has shown, I was the first to observe it, but now there are dozens <coughs> of peer-reviewed studies 
that have corroborated what I'm about to tell you, an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death. If you treat people early, high risk people early with anti-inflammatory antiviral drugs, an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death. We just passed the threshold in America of a million dead. We could have kept 850,000 home, just to give you the sense of scale. Now, when I, when I started seeing that, I didn't believe it either, by the way. I'm like, well, so like the first 10 patients, yeah, it's anecdotal, it's a fluke. But listen, when I got to 50 patients and I saw the same pattern of people's breathing improving within six to 12 hours, and I wasn't sending any more anyone to the hospital, I know what I was seeing. So with the help of my son, I made a YouTube video. I've never done it before. I made, I made a YouTube video addressed to the president of the United States saying, listen, I need your help. Because I felt like a frontline soldier found an enemy map, has all the critical information to win the war, but I don't want to go through the chain of command and take two years. So I, let me get it to the five-star general right away. So how do you do that with social media? And so I just put it out there asking the president for help. And this is what I'm seeing. Now, I, won't, I wouldn't believe this, but it actually did happen to me. Uh, Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff called me on my cell phone 16 hours later. And that, he asked me what I, what I was looking for the president for. I, I told him what I just told you. They were very interested. Now, just keep in mind, no one had a solution. I never claimed that my approach was the best. I just claimed it was the only one. And so garnered a lot of interest. Um, and ended up uh, Stephen Hahn, the commissioner of the FDA, called me also, wanted to know what I was doing. I spoke to some people at the top people at the NIH, which was a dead end. Because keep in mind, I wasn't doing research. I was, I'm a clinician, I was treating patients. In the process of treating patients, I generated some pretty important information that falls under the category of real world evidence. But they had no idea how to even use that because what happened in the last few decades, uh, the perception is that the only truth in science is that which comes out of pharmaceutically sponsored clinical trials. And so when real world evidence became like worthless in the eyes of these elitists. Um, now I was never against clinical trials, but I'll give you an example. Let's say you're drowning and you see a piece of driftwood. Now I don't have a clinical trial to tell you that it may help you, but you know what, I think you should hold on. And if you survive, I think you should share that information with others. That's how humanity has evolved and learned through trial and error what works and what doesn't work. Okay, you don't need a clinical trial to tell you that if a baby's crying, maybe hungry or wet, you should pick it up and take care of its needs, then it'll stop crying. Anyway, so that information, that was a dead end. But then what really happened was Rudy Giuliani, um, who was the president's personal attorney, called me and invited me to do a podcast, which I did, 
which went viral in millions of people's stories. And my life has never been the same, for good and for better. <laughs> so that, that's how I got involved. COVID chose me and um, divine providence led me to the Trump administration. Was there a point where you felt that actually they were going to announce it to the world and uh, use it? Or was it always clear that there was another agenda of corruption and vaccines? They didn't announce it. When President Trump said he's taking hydroxychloroquine, he referenced my, my letter that I had sent him. And then uh, he gave an order, which was sabotage. Talk about it. He gave an order to open the national stockpile. The United States had a stockpile for national security reasons of hydroxychloroquine. Just process that. And he ordered that stockpile opened and made available to every single American. That order was given to Secretary Azar from Health and Human Services. That was given to uh, Dr. Rick Bright from a division of Health and Human Services called BARDA. It's something like Bioweapons Advanced Research Development System, or whatever it was. But, um, and they were supposed to use a certain pathway called the right to try legislation to open up the national stockpile and to flood the country with hydroxychloroquine to pharmacies, hospitals, every, everywhere, so that doctors and patients who wanted to use it could have access. What Dr. Rick Bright did, and he says this in a documentary, bragging in his own words what he did. So it's his own words, not my words. That he and his team at BARDA did not agree with the president's order. So they came up with a creative solution to restrict access to hydroxychloroquine by issuing an emergency use authorization for only hospitalized patients. What I just said to you is the mechanic, mechanics of mass murder and genocide. Because of that one thing, the entire perception in the country, in America, myself included, was that you can't use hydroxychloroquine only in the hospital, which by the way, wasn't true. It, what, what actually meant was that the national stockpile would be only available to hospitalized patients, but yet any doctor who wanted to prescribe it still could. But no one understood it that way, myself included. And what happened was the hospital systems or the big group employers of physicians issued uh, decrees that doctors are not allowed to prescribe it. So effectively, that emergency use authorization shut down the use of hydroxychloroquine in the entire country. And you know what America does, the rest of the world follows. So it shut down its use in the whole world. So I don't know, I don't know how many dead people in the world from COVID. There's many, not only from COVID, but from the responses of COVID and from the treatments and the vaccines. But if we say 10 million people, which is not unreasonable, we could have stopped 8.5 million from going to the hospital. No pandemic. Incredible. Incredible. 
So at the government end, does anybody actually take responsibility for this mass genocide or is it just swept under the carpet and forgotten about? Let me tell you how, how disgusting, perverse, and absolutely evil it gets. The Lancet published a study in May of 2020. It was a meta-analysis of 96,000 patients with the conclusion that hydroxychloroquine kills people. Immediately, the World Homicide Organization issued a global moratorium on research and use of hydroxychloroquine. So, so I missed a bit. So how, uh, uh, who did that? Who, who said it was poisonous or dangerous? The Lancet, the, the, it's a British medical publication. Yeah, super famous. Published a paper that, a peer-reviewed paper, which was called a meta-analysis of, of a comparison of, of data generated by 96,000 patients and made a conclusion that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous and kills people. So, Listen, the only problem with that study that it was fraud. That data didn't exist. And in the biggest scandal in the history of science and peer-reviewed medicine, The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine had to retract that paper for fraud. It had less value than used toilet paper. But the damage had been done because the World Homicide Organization publicized it globally. Now, it gets even more sick. There was a recovery trial sponsored by Oxford University that concluded that hydroxychloroquine kills people. Actually 27% of people who took hydroxychloroquine died. That was true. It was only one problem. They used 26, 2400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine a day. Now I was advocating for 400 milligrams. 2,400 milligrams a day is enough to kill an elephant. They used homicidal, lethal dosing that killed 27% of the patients. So all that trial did was prove the following. If you poison people with toxic lethal dosing, they will die. Now is the really sick part. Three weeks later, the FDA makes a big announcement. They are taking away, revoking the emergency use authorization from a hydroxychloroquine, even in the hospitals. Why? So they have a document and footnote 32. By the way, anyone who's listening to me shouldn't believe a word I'm saying. Um, you should trust, but verify. I have, and I could provide, and I will provide all the references, source material for everything that I'm saying. You may disagree with it, but there is a rationale for why I'm saying it. Blind faith belongs to God, not to people. 
That's my commentary. Anyway, so the FDA issues, uh, revokes the emergency use authorization, issues a document explaining why. Footnote 32 on that document quotes the Lancet study after its retraction for fraud as the basis for revoking a drug that was showing 85% reduction in hospitalization and death. Wow. So the world's got no idea. The people who perpetuated the fraud are presumably still walking around. Nothing has been done about this. I mean, there must be some people who are very, 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 very guilty indeed. The authors well, of the... the two people involved directly in in restricting access to hydroxychloroquine was Dr. Rick Bright and Dr. and Dr. Janet Woodcock. They were rewarded. Rick Bright now works for the Rockefeller Foundation, and Janet Woodcock became the head of the FDA under the Biden administration. Wow. Wow, so corruption at the very top is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And so um, what was interesting, I'm gonna tell you some things that I will then just document and, and prove to you. But COVID-19 I call it a weapon of mass murder, has, we have a 20 year paper trail, peer reviewed publication paper trail and a 20 year patent trail related to those papers that document step by step how this weapon of mass murder was made. And let me walk you through it. So one name everyone needs to remember is Dr. Ralph Barrick. Dr. Ralph Barrick. He's a brilliant virologist from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Everything he did was funded by the NIH. In 1998, he began research on a technique called cross species transmissibility, published papers on it. What that means is to take an animal who has a, a virus that affects a certain animal, any animal really, modify that virus so that it can infect another animal from a different species. Cross species transmissibility. In 1999, he perfected that technique. funded by the NIH. In 2002, a United States patent was issued to Dr. Ralph Barrick, funded by the NIH, that he figured out how to take a bat coronavirus and through the use of, of certain mutations, make that virus destructive or lethal to human lung tissue. but he didn't put the pieces together yet. In other words, it wasn't infectious to human beings yet. 
So they, but they, but when exposed to human lung tissue in a lab, it would destroy it. Now they had a way to custom design a target with a payload that destroys human lung tissue. In 2015, guess what? Dr. Ralph Barrett and Dr. Zheng Li Shi from Wuhan were doing research in Wuhan. Why? Well, because this type of research was made illegal in America what they call gain-of-function research, what I call taking a benign animal virus and converting it into a weapon of genocide, that research was made illegal in the United States. So it was outsourced to China, funded by the NIH. We have the paper trail. And in 2015, Dr. Ralph Barrick and Dr. Zheng Li Shi published a paper of how to take a bat coronavirus and make it infectious to human beings. Now, one should ask the following question. They had the technology to do it in 2002. Why was it, why was, why did they wait to 2015 to finish the bomb? Because you had to combine two really capabilities. You needed to, to, to make a virus infectious to human beings. I mean, an animal virus infectious to human beings and also make that virus destructive to human lung tissue. That was the two parts of the bomb. Well, the answer is obvious because it, I have to tell you another piece of the puzzle. I started this presentation, you asked me how I came up with this treatment approach. And I told you that there was a video sent to me, MedCram episode 34, Dr. Schultz, who actually quoted a paper from 2010 on the use of hydroxychloroquine and zinc to stop the virus from replicating. What I didn't know until three months ago is that that paper was authored by Dr. Ralph Barrett, funded by the NIH. So let me process that. The same entity, the same person and the same funding who made the bomb or were making the bomb in 2010, figured out an antidote to defuse the bomb. Because even though they're genocidal sociopaths, but they don't want to die themselves. And this infects everyone. So how do you protect yourself? So when doctors like myself out of necessity, discovered this information. Immediately, in a choreographed fashion, involving the entire global media, hydroxychloroquine was vilified. All you heard is going to kill you. 
a drug that was FDA proof of 65 years, used in pregnant women, used in children. Some people live in it their entire lives. So you have to ask yourself a question. And by the way, if you jump ahead later, when ivermectin came on the scene, which is also a zinc ionophore, also gets zinc into the cell, amongst other things. It got the same treatment, the hydroxychloroquine treatment. So you have to ask yourself a question. Why? Would, what would be the motive to suppress old, generic, safe drugs that could eliminate this problem immediately. So to understand that, we have to look at your former colony, Australia. In New South Wales, as of today, any doctor who prescribes hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin in the treatment of COVID-19 goes to jail for six months. It's <laughs> just incredible, incredible. And the government tells you why. It encourages vaccine hesitancy. Let me translate that for you. You need to understand that. They are not denying that they work. On the contrary, they work. And since they work, and there are a few doctors that are willing to do the right thing and treat their patients with the right drugs in the right time frame. guess what? Those patients get better. When they get better, they don't wanna take the shot. And they probably tell their family not to take it. So they encourage vaccine hesitancy. So doctors who are literally doing the right thing and saving their patients' lives are being imprisoned for doing that. So I realized something, that the world was going through a psychological warfare, humanity, because it's well known that if you induce a chronic fear state, anxiety, for a long time, for months, you isolate people from the people they love You dehumanize them by making them wear a face diaper. They psychologically decompensate. And when that happens, they get damaged, they get hurt, they get vulnerable, gullible, and easy to manipulate. And then you can get even the most intelligent, rational people to go in a course of, in a direction or a course of action that if their rational minds were working, they would never do. But all these people want right now is not to live in this terrible anxiety state. And so they're prone to believe anything. I could tell you, hold this keychain and you'll get better and you'll do it. On the off chance that it may help you. So 
Okay, but then you have to ask yourself, but why? Like, what's going on? Like, who have? It it seems too evil, too diabolical, too conniving, irrational. Who would want to do this? See, the problem is most people are decent and they look at the world through decent glasses. So it makes them in blind to real malevolence. See, I don't have that problem anymore. I used to be like that, but not anymore. I'll share with you a story from a book. It's called uh, Gulag Archipelago, written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He won a Nobel Prize in literature for it. It's a true accounting of his experience in Stalin's Gulag system. 2,700 pages of basically a scream from a human being on the brutality of what human beings can do. So in this book, he tells a, a story, a true story. Stalin wanted to build a canal from Moscow to another city. He used the Gulag prisoners to do it. 400,000 died. Their corpses were mixed with the cement. They were permanently entombed in the walls. And when the canal was finished, it was too shallow. Not one ship ever used it. So he asks the question, why was this canal built? His answer gives me chills. And the answer is so that 400,000 people would die. I'll tell you another story about Stalin. See, I like to learn from despots because it's important information. You have to understand how the enemy works. It's about Stalin's chicken. It's a true story. Stalin had a guests and he asked for a chicken to be brought. And in front of everyone, he, he plucked out all the feathers from this chicken while it was alive, bleeding all over the place in terrible pain. Then he took a few pieces of wheat and threw it on the floor and the chicken started following him. And he made a point, look how easy it is to manipulate stupid people as long as you give them an occasional treat. Okay, so I'm gonna throw out some uh, puzzle pieces that are verifiable. And I'd like you or anyone who's listening to try to explain this in some rational way. I'll tell you my explanation later, but I, I don't see another solution to this puzzle. In 2010, Bill Gates at a TED lecture said the following, and anyone could Google Gates, TED, 2010, population control. In this lecture, he said the following, global warming is the biggest threat to humanity. Carbon emissions is the main cause of global warming. Human beings are the source of most of the carbon emissions. Therefore, we need to reduce the world population by 10 to 15% through the use of vaccines. He said it, Nani. I remember hearing that at the time and thinking, well, surely he just misspoke, but it's obviously didn't. I mean, genocide depopulation has been the Gates' family motto for quite some time. I mean, looking back at the history. Then he I announced, 
So I was going to say, I always wondered whether the Dr. Gates, who helped Rockefeller with the vaccination program for the so-called Spanish flu, the vaccinations being obviously the murder agent there, whether he was related to the current Gates or whether that's just coincidence. I don't, haven't had time to look into it, but Dr. Gates killed an awful lot of people in, after World War I. So, so then at that lecture, he announces the decade of vaccines. And in 2020, again, on video, Bill Gates announces that 7 billion people must be vaccinated. I'm gonna ask a rhetorical question. I, I don't need an answer. Why would I take a vaccine for my health from someone who's advocating and financing uh, the development of vaccines to reduce the world population. In 2016, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum, gave an interview in, in, Fra in France, a French media outlet. I had the interview with subtitles. And he said it was the bizarrest interview. No one understood it. But he said that within 10 years, by 2026, 7 billion people will be tagged with a digital identifier. Forget about the why question. But how do you get 7 billion people to willingly agree to be injected with a digital identifier? Okay, he said it, it's on video. Let's leave that aside. There are some very important details that people need to be cognizant about. Of. Some people know it, but maybe not as a puzzle. If you look at the website for the World Economic Forum, they have an agenda for 2030. That agenda has been incorporated as the 2030 United Nations agenda. And two of the things that stand out in this agenda is number one, America will no longer be a superpower. They say it outright. And two, a few global, a few countries will be will rule the world globally. Hmm. How do you take the most powerful economy and militaries currently? and within a few years, remove its status as a superpower. Like, how do you do that? I'll tell you how. How about you release a weapon of mass murder? You scare the hell out of everyone. You lock down economies, including America. During that lockdown, over 1 million small businesses go bankrupt. The bigger corporations grab that market share and their valuations double. So this is the biggest theft of middle-class wealth in history. You drive up inflation to such a degree that Saudi Arabia announced two weeks ago that they're giving up the dollar, their unreliance on petrodollars, and switching to China's new digital currency called the digital yuan, 
you spend up a, a national debt that's more than $30 trillion. But here's the, how do you say the straw that broke the camel's back? Um, this has been known for 30 years, what I'm about to tell you. It wasn't known exactly the date, but now we know. And this is according to Congressional United States Congress uh, projections. Medicare will begin to go bankrupt in 2026. Hmm, 2026, wait a minute. Isn't that the year that Klaus Schwab said that by 2026, 7 billion people will be tagged with a digital identifier? If you remember in 2008, the global, the housing crisis in America, it globalized in a week. Okay. Can you imagine the effect on first America's economy, but and then everything that's interrelated to American economies uh, with the collapse of Medicare? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that's gonna destabilize markets. Be a lot of turbulence, a lot of chaos. And as the saying goes, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, something is going to happen. It's a controlled collapse. And something is going to happen, which to understand, I have to tell you about two patents. August 31st, 2021, the United States Patent Office issues a patent for technology that already exists in the vaccines that allows, it's 50 pages, very complicated. By the way, I've challenged anyone in the world the last year, I've been talking about this, to, to review the patent and then come debate. See if I'm wrong, or maybe I am wrong, challenge me. No one has taken me up on this. The only people that contradict me are the ones that didn't read it. But what does the patent say? It describes technology that already exists in the vaccine on the nanoscale, allows for the measurement of biometric data, such as heart rate, uh, respiratory rate, temperature, and more importantly, the transmission of that data to a third party with your location. I know it sounds unbelievable. United States patent, I have the number, I'll give it to you. I'll send you a PowerPoint presentation. You can just share it with everyone. It's a patent, it's 50 pages long. This technology exists and it exists in the vaccine. But even that is like, so what? I mean, what is that useful for? But then there's another patent which completes the puzzle. This one is from 2020, owned by Microsoft. It's an international patent. I know the number by heart. WO 2020-06-06-06. It describes the linkage of biometric data transmission to the use of cryptocurrency. Now listen, let's go to China for a minute because 
China has a paradigm that's already in motion, which will give us a sense of where things are going. The CCP, Chinese Communist Party, uh, controls the Central Bank of China. The Central Bank, uh, Central Bank of China just issued a digital currency called the digital yuan, which I mentioned earlier. After they issued it, they made illegal all of the cryptocurrencies. What that means is that to transact in China, you're bound by a government controlled system. And then they link the Chinese social credit score system that already exists to the use of cryptocurrency. What that means is the following. In China right now, they don't need any more gulags. If they don't like you, they shut off your ability to transact. It's a control mechanism. If you can't transact, you can't buy bread for your family. So no more bullet in the head. They just starve you to death. Now, that is exactly what's going to happen in 2026 when the financial systems begin to collapse, the infrastructure has already been laid for a global cryptocurrency. Notice it's called the World Economic Forum for a reason, economic. And when they say America will no longer be a superpower, it means in the economic realms. And when they say a few countries will rule globally, they mean in economic ways. So there's gonna be a cryptocurrency system that's already been put in place where few countries control it. And in order to participate in it, you're gonna to need to be a transmitter of biometric data. So let me play out a scenario for you. You wanna buy bread, you go online, your local store you order bread, now you have to pay for it. So forget about Apple Pay or credit cards or paper money, fiat currency. You'll have a sensor, some, some type of sensor, a scanner in your house. The government will give it to you for free, I'm sure. You, you scan your hand on it. It recognizes who you are. It knows where you are. Your accounts get charged. And then the drone, a few 10 minutes later, let's say, delivers your bread. It's kind of cool, except what if I don't want to be a transmitter of biometric data? What if I don't want my location known 24 seven? What if I don't want my inner temperament known, which you can figure out through the use of biometric data, like a lie detector test. You can figure out, listen, if someone's heart rate goes up at 11 o'clock at night, you know he's making love to his wife. What if I don't want that known? What if I enjoy my privacy? How about more importantly, what if the government doesn't like me, which I know they don't? All they need to do is restrict my ability to transact. Now there'll be a black market, I promise you, but still, I won't be able to participate in normal society. 
So what we are seeing, and there's someone you should know about, his name is Yuval Noah Harari, um, Dr. Harari. He's a professor of history at Hebrew University. He's also known as the prophet. He's worshiped by Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Obama. Obama called him his favorite author on CNN. And if you hear the things that this person says, you'll understand how dangerous he is because he's influenced the most powerful people in the world. He's considered their prophet. What, what does he say? Humans are hackable animals. There's no such thing as a soul. We now could hack into the human genetic code, which is true. And we could engineer that genetic code, which is true, with intelligent design, but not with some God above the cloud intelligent design, but our intelligent design. We are now like gods. Then he says, COVID-19 will be remembered as the inflection point in history when everything got digitized and 24 seven surveillance came online. These are not my words. And so when Klaus Schwab says the following and Bill Gates also, <coughs> that these vaccines change who you are and then they tell you what they mean through gene editing capabilities. So what does that mean? So when the human genetic code was first sequenced, we were able to figure out most genes, what they do. Then some scientists at Harvard de developed a technology called CRISPR-Cas9 technology, which is basically a cut and paste mechanism. Like let's say you have a word processor, you highlight text that you, let's say wanna cut out, and then you can splice in other text that you want, right? You can, we can do the same thing with the human genetic code at will. We can splice into, bless you, we can splice into any gene we want. So here's a silly example. Let's say uh, green eyes really bother me in humanity. Well, I could literally eliminate that trait from humanity. But here's not such a silly example. Everyone has tumor suppressor genes. Genes that make proteins that prevent cancer. Bless you. What if I splice into that one and mess it up? Well, I've just taken off the brakes of cancer. The most disturbing one was in 2004, the CIA gave a presentation which got leaked. And they write, they present that they've discovered a jihadi gene. I'm serious, they call it that, which is a, a gene that's associated with religious extremism. And they're developing techniques that could turn off that gene. We can debate if that's a good weapon or military strategy, but
But the point is, we now have the technology to manipulate human behavior on a genetic level. So all, it turns out, if you, if you Google it, you'll see that mRNA is the ideal platform to deliver CRISPR-Cas9 technology into the person. So these vaccines, they do a lot of things except prevent COVID. They do three simultaneous capabilities or functions. One is to reduce the world population through a percentage of people dying relatively shortly after getting the vaccine. Uh, miscarriages, which according to the Department of Defense data is up by 300%. Infertility and a huge spike in chronic disease like cancer and autoimmune diseases, which will shorten the lifespans of people. So there's a population control component to it. There's a surveillance component to it. And there's a transhumanist genetic gene editing component to it. So I'll ask the basic question and I'll end with this. I wouldn't give Bill Gates access to my email. Why would I give him access to my genetic code? You know, when we're, we say we're made in the image of God, what does that mean? Well, God imprinted himself into our unique genetic code. In my opinion, someone who has his code edited by people like Klaus Schwab is now made in the image of Klaus Schwab. So that's, that's the puzzle that I see, putting together financial realities, the medical components, the words of the degenerates themselves, the science. And it's a very complicated uh, picture, but it doesn't change the fact that um, I, don't, I don't see any other explanation. Maybe someone could tell me, but I, I see real evil. And you know, what they call the new world order is a rebranding of the oldest world order of paganism, idolatry, and child sacrifice. There's a Dr. Michael Yaden, your uh, countryman, a VP, former VP of Pfizer. He's, he's testified these vaccines are over 100 times more lethal to kids than COVID. There's a term for that. It's called child sacrifice. Children have a near 100% recovery rate from COVID with no treatment. Why would I inject into them something that's so much more lethal? It's not the medical reason. I thought the good people of the world would stand up when it came to... <coughs> yeah, you would have thought after Germany in World War II that the world could have woken up. You know, I thought, well, when they come for the children, now in England they just announced they're coming for the five-year-olds. But I, I'm stunned that... You know, I mean, I agree with everything you've said about, about the history of it, and, and it goes back forever. So what about positivity? Do you, do you see, I mean, I, I believe that good wins in the end, but I also see that they have 
tried to destroy consciousness, to try and destroy the link between us and the creator. Um, sorry. I choose to remain incredibly optimistic because I'd be depressed if I wasn't. So I, I am, yeah. So, so I try to look at, okay, well, what are the answers? And as you know, all the answers really have been thought about by people forever and how to live in a, uh, a wonderful world is, is, is not difficult to achieve, but while psychopaths are in control, then it is difficult to achieve. But on the other hand, how many psychopaths really are, are there, the controllers of the world? You know, we, we pretty much, I think, know who they are, or maybe there's some force behind them. But I believe that we can not comply, but while everybody's so asleep, I, I, you know, I, I can't see how it's gonna get better for a long while while everybody's hypnotized. Got any ideas? Yes. Um, first of all, I, I agree and I believe with optimism. And as the prophet says, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God like the water covers the sea. So that's basically the revelation of the true narrative. It's an information war, really. Now, the only variable there is the body count until we get to that point. It's a big barrier. And so we need to understand the root causes, otherwise we won't be effective in reversing the process. Um, if you remember in the Bible in Genesis, as the story goes, the snake came to Eve and said, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And she said, oh, I can't. God, God said, no. So the snake argued with her and said, well, the reason he doesn't want you to eat from it is because on that day, you will become like a God, knowing the difference between good and bad. Wait a minute. Yuval Noah Harari said on video last year at the World Economic Forum, Humans have no soul. We are high hackable animals. We could engineer human beings now with intelligent design, not with God's intelligent design above the clouds, but our intelligent design. For now, we are like gods. It's the same dynamic. So the, the dynamic, the war, is the same as it's been in every single generation, it's just on a different battlefield. It's enclosed in COVID-19, the vaccines, whatever it is, but the dynamics at play are the following. Who are you going to bow down to? You're gonna bow down to your creator who makes you every instant of time out of love and ask your creator for the strength to deal with the unknowns and the fears of life. Or are you going to let the fear lead you astray and breed a cultish, unhealthy codependency on the workings of man or sociopathic oligarchs or corrupt governments? 
Let's see how that works out for you. But that's the choice. Because still to this point, the majority of people have chosen to walk into an execution chamber and get the poison. You're gonna argue that, some people may argue that there's a lot of coercion. People are not allowed to be traveled, are not allowed to travel. They may lose their job. They may get expelled from school. They may be ostracized by others. That's all true. But people are still choosing. In other words, in normal societies, people will sacrifice everything for the future of their children. They don't sacrifice their children for their own benefits in the present. This is war. And in war, there are some inconveniences. You know, when London was being bombed, I don't think people were too worried about traveling uh, for holiday. They were trying to survive the bombs. The difference now is that the bombs are invisible, but they're still bombs. The whole world is fighting the same weapons and, and the vaccines that are being forced upon us. And so the solution here is to stop creating a vacuum, a godless vacuum where darkness reigns. I mean, what do you expect from a society, global society, that has desecrated everything holy, desecrated life itself, desecrated gender, desecrated marriage, has normalized and codified debauchery and immorality into the law of the land, if the de degenerates in Washington had their way, my four-year-old daughter would be sharing a bathroom with a 30-year-old man who thinks he's a woman. Now listen, people can live any way they want. I'm not God's policeman. But that's between you and God. Once you start imposing on a societal level your value structure, which goes against the historic precedent of how humanity has developed, of what marriage is, of what gender is, of the value of life itself. This not, doesn't create a good environment. It creates an environment where forces like Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, and many others, could thrive. So in many ways, we've created the serpents of our own destruction. And so I think what people can do, human free choice is very powerful and there's many more of us than them. And they fear us, but they fear us in unison and, and aware. If we have an enlightened level of understanding and consciousness of what the dynamics at play really are, and we coalesce together as a collective force, they are frightened of that because they know what's going to happen to them is what happened to Saddam Hussein, 
the Nazi hierarchy, Mussolini, Gaddafi, Ceausescu from Romania, whatever his name was, and many, many other uh, historical despots. And so, it's time for people to organize. There, it's time to restore, let's put it this way, it's time to reconcile the individual human heart with their creator. I completely agree. I mean, the, the, the issue is there are two states for the human being. There's the state of fear where everything's about how it might go wrong in the future and how it went wrong in the past. Then the opposite state of being, which is the state of love. And the trick is that they, the people who don't want human beings to be alive, let alone conscious, have deliberately put everybody in a state of fear, cutting them off from God and love. You know, God is love, and it's a state, isn't it? We're either in one state, in a state of fear, or the state of love. You can't be in both at the same time. Someone should ask the British monarchy the following question. Because I believe they're very complicit in the plan for generations. This may not win me a lot of fans in Britain, but so what? Prince Philip is on record a multiple videos saying that he wishes he can come back as a virus to, to decimate the world population. His son, Charles, is on record saying the same thing, that we need to reduce the world population because of global warming. His son, William, or uh, I forget who, but, Harry uh, is the other one. Harry um, is just being criticized for calling for the reduction of the population in Africa. So my question is, okay, okay, you're you're royals, whatever that means. You believe you're anointed by God to serve a purpose. If that's true, that purpose is to sanctify the name of God, not to destroy His creation. What entitles you? To believe that you deserve to live and others don't. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says like this, which says like this, God did not create the world for it to be desolate. He created it, formed it, so that it should be settled. It is not our department to decide how many human beings live on the planet, how long they live and who should be free. That does not belong to us. And people that like Bill Gates who say, yeah, we just, have to, we just have to reduce the world by a billion people. What kind of genocidal sociopath even feels comfortable to think that way? And that's who we're dealing with. Well, quiet. An, an incredible example, I think, is you, you mentioned earlier World War II and London getting bombed. What most people, most Londoners, most English people, most people in the world don't realise is it was the British 
who bombed most of the houses in London. And how that was happening is unbelievable. Same with Pearl Harbor to a large degree. With London to protect against the air raids, they mounted naval guns, massive naval guns, hoping to hit a plane, which is just absurd, right? So they'd miss and it would come down and blow up people's houses. And this, this was publicized in World War II, which was going on, but it was considered a, you know, a viable option. Uh, but you tell this to people, it, it's almost impossible to believe, just like the current situation, you know, if we'd been told three years ago what was happening now, I, I wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed that people would be so stupid, but here, here we are. So can we get a bit positive and can, can, you, can we talk about possible solutions? I mean, it doesn't seem possible to wake people up at the moment or not, not en masse because they're too hypnotized. What can we do that might save the world for want of a better way of putting it? Well, it begins with saving yourself and the people that are within your sphere of influence. Um, you know, uh, it's much easier to tell other people what to do than to do it yourself. And so I think that the, the first thing to do is to, to expunge fear from within, uh, not to isolate and just don't comply with mandates. And also, if possible, take your kids out of public schools and homeschool them or, or get together with like-minded parents and educate them on a value structure that is in line with what you believe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, basically, we need to create cities of refuge amongst continents of tyranny. Um, and by the way, it's very catchy. When people see someone who's serene, has tranquility, even amongst chaos, um, and confident and optimistic, they'll ask you, like, what's up? I'm not. The world looks crazy. What do you know that I don't know? That's the type of influence I prefer. Because if you go out and try to tell other people what to do, they'll say to you, first you do it and then come back to me. Um, you don't have any moral authority than I do and why should I listen to you? But um, I think that that's a good place to start. It's, it's much harder than it seems by the way. And um, you'd be surprised. I think the level of consciousness is rising. Uh, at a rate that it gives me a lot of hope. Uh, we still haven't reached that threshold, that critical mass, but we will. And um, so I really do think that uh, this has been a very globally maturing event. And a lot of people have realized that their faith in government institutions in science and technology, uh, in certain people has been misplaced. That you cannot rely on them. They're corrupt. They, they're false. They, they hurt you. They've abused your trust. And so a lot of people are in existential crisis. Well, if you can't trust them, who can we trust? And that has led many people to do, first of all, restructuring in their own priorities, but also a kind of a spiritual soul, uh, self-searching and 
I've seen a reconciliation, many people with, with the creator. I'm gonna to have to go soon. Well, thank you so much. I mean, as a historical document, what you've said is fantastic. And I hope people will be inspired by it. And I thank you for your, for your work and what you're doing. And um, um, you have uh, some supplements that you sell. Do you want to talk a little bit about them so you can? Not really. I hate being a salesman, but my partners will kill me if I don't. <laughs> uh, so what happened was in uh, March 27th, 2020, I'd come up with a really effective treatment plan. It's based on hydroxychloroquine. And then Cuomo, our uh, governor at the time, issued an executive order uh, banning pharmacies from dispensing hydroxychloroquine, which was a direct attack on my practice because I was the only one in the state doing it. I couldn't understand a drug that's been around for 65 years, FDA approved. They give it to pregnant ladies and give it to kids. Why are you banning its use for five days for COVID-19? Just didn't make sense. But it didn't help the situation because I had patients dying. We came up with an approach. They stopped dying, which was good. And then Cuomo issues a uh, executive order and they start dying again, which is not good. So as the saying goes, you, you, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you wish you had. So I needed to find a substitute for a zinc delivery system or a zinc ionophore. I didn't know about ivermectin at that time, but even ivermectin wouldn't have helped because it was a prescription also. So I'm doing research on, on the NIH server and I come across a substance called quercetin. I, I never heard of it actually, but there are peer reviewed papers on the NIH server that say that it's a zinc delivery system. It delivers zinc into the cell. I said, okay, that's cool. So I Google quercetin and I see that it's a derivative of onions and apple peels, but more importantly, it's over the counter. And I kind of, I remember I leaned back, I'm getting goosebumps now. I leaned back and I said, oh my God, I just found the cure to tyranny. Because I can say to my patient now, just go to the vitamin shop, buy quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D and zinc and those amounts, use it in the right time frame, and most likely you'll get better. So that helped some people, but I got complaints, two complaints. One, it was difficult to find all those ingredients in one place. So people were scrambling, buying this there, this there. And even if they could find it, there were so many options, so many versions of C and D and zinc and even quercetin, it created a confused, they couldn't put the puzzle together. And then they were missing that critical window of treatment after which all the complications started. So I was asked to put everything together in one pill 
to make it easier for people to have access to care. So that's what I did. That's how ZStack was born. It was born out of necessity because, uh, and what's happened since then, like I think we have four or 500,000 customers that have already bought it. And I was so blown away of how many people wanted to take control over their healthcare and, and avoid medical tyranny. And so what happened was that people were no longer afraid because they had in their mind, okay, so if I get the virus, I'll take this, I'll be okay. Let me go see my mother. And so they stopped buying into the fear and the isolation. And that's really restored the mental health also of many people. And so that's, that's really how, how this product, I, I'm not a businessman. Um, I've always been a doctor. Um, I have my own health issues now with cancer. So, but it, it is um, a very uh, rewarding thing to constantly get hundreds of messages from people that appreciating that um, it, it helped them and helped them recover. And uh, it's very meaning, meaningful to me. Well, fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant work. And I, I realize you're busy, so I should probably let you go. And thank you again uh, for all your brilliant work and uh, your website. ZStackLife.com. ZStackLife.com. I have another website, which is more for education. It's for doctors also, because I have a ton of all the, everything I just said, I have the source material for it and, uh, and the printed protocols. So that's my name. It's Vladimir Zelenko MD.com. It's my name, Vladimir Zelenko MD.com. Don't confuse me with Vladimir Zelensky. I am not the president of the Ukraine. <laughs>